Blog Talk Radio. Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete is brought to you by No Fuss and Feathers Roadshow. You guys, No Fuss and Feathers Roadshow, an evening with Carolyn Solabello, Karen Oliver, and the Yayas, an evening of fantastic folk music is coming to a town near you if you live near one of these towns. In April, on the 12th at Voices Cafe in Westport, Connecticut, the 25th at Outpost in the Burbs in Montclair, New Jersey, and the 26th at Foxhorn Concerts in Sudbury, Massachusetts. That's like back-to-back nights. You should go. Facebook.com backslash No Fuss and Feathers Roadshow for details. Okay, now for Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete. Nice. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Johnny and the mothers are playing something at the Savoy in Vermont tonight. Berman's going to kill my brother at the Savoy Theater tonight. I didn't say that. No, but I know this grapevine. Why would I put it there? Kindness? 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 You stole it! He stole it! We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. Welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Peace, episode 171, coming to you live from Comac, New York, Bayside, New York, and probably not Freehold, New Jersey. It's the Ready to Unload radio, talk, podcast, sports, New York, nice, all that on Thursday night, April the 3rd, 2014. I am one of your hosts, Cal. I'm the one that comes in usually after the other host starts the show, but not tonight. Tonight we're going to do things a little bit differently. Once again, Brian Calvi here, Cal of the Cal and Sam Pete. We're going to bring in the Sam Pete in a little bit, but I have to set the stage a little bit for, for what went on today in the world of New York sports, in the world of our little universe, because... Sam Pete RTU on the Twitter. Let's let's just say he he executed the perfect heel turn. He uh he kind of snapped today. Our good buddy Steve Sampietro. 
stampede RTU, snapped a little bit after the Mets' 8-2 to loss to the Washington Nationals today at City Field. The of the opening series for our Metropolitans. So I think we're going to bring him in right now. Sam Pete, Steve, buddy, Kel. friend. No, I'm here. I'm already here. Hello, hi. Steve. Hi, hi, Cal. How you doing, champ? <laughs> How's it going? I, uh, I blacked out. I don't know. Supposedly, I wrote some things on Twitter about the Mets, and yeah. I really apparently went on some sort of rant. You okay? I, don't, I feel I blacked out. I don't know what happened. Oh, man. You really actually, I'm good, buddy. Hello. Welcome to uh, another episode. Yeah. Well, well, welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, doing this tonight. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I should have done it last week when you were the highest of highs. Highest of highs. And tonight, which really encapsulates what we do beautifully, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. If you listen back to the show the way it opened last week, yeah, and then one week later, this. Gutter. Gutter Town, USA. I, um, I think the most difficult thing for me to accept about all this, and you put it so perfectly. I was telling a friend after my Twitter rant on the Mets, and my heel turn. Um, and now I am officially a bad guy. You, uh, you turned on Mets GM. I did. I turned on Sandy Alderson. I mean, we were in the ring. And it was like, oh, no. Oh, you were like, you were shaking his hand, right. patting him on the back. And that music started playing. And then you picked up a chair. Right. <laughs> and then <laughs> you picked up a bottle of Cholula hot sauce and what? him over the head. <laughs> what is... I have to figure out what my bad guy music is. So, like, everybody hears the music, and they're like, oh, no. Oh, here he comes. Yeah. Um, You're dressed in all black now all right, of a sudden. Right. But right, I had the black Met jersey on. Right. No, but you should have seen it coming. <laughs> Why is he wearing the black Especially Met jersey? Especially considering I hate the black Met jerseys. So that should have been a dead giveaway that I was about to do a heel turn. But I said it to somebody, Cal, and it was so funny. You have been feeling this way for three months. Plus, right, which is why I sound a little bit different tonight. That the, but the, the the nice thing about that though for you, Brian, is that there's not any sort of feeling of patting yourself on the back or no. You take that's the big difference between us and many Met fans who take almost joy and or pride in the fact that the Mets have confirmed through these first three games. And we're going to talk about all of this with Patrick Flood when he comes on. He's our buddy, friend of the show, great Mets blogger. He's just he's great about baseball, and he will calm us down. He's very rational. I'm looking forward to that. He's like our John Goodman on Saturday Night Live. He is, he's absolutely – yeah, because you figure Caparoso's Alec Baldwin. Right. <laughs> so that Caparoso makes, comes on in the fall. That's right. That makes Patrick Flood uh, our John Goodman. He's, he's like a Steve Martin. He's a little – Hanks. Right. He's, a little, he's very Hanksian. Maybe Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's a good call. But we are not taking joy in this. I called it a confirmation of failure. That's what these three games have been. Mm-hmm. They're a confirmation that Sandy Alderson and the front office, all the way down, failed this offseason. 
and have failed over three years. Well, it's important that you make that distinction because a lot of people will tell you it's only three games. Don't be, why are you getting crazy over three games? Except it's not three games. Exactly. This is the culmination of what was supposed to be. Well, there's two things there. One is to anybody who says, well, it's only three games. I can't believe you're panicking, blah, 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 blah. Is it going to get better? Is this, tell me what part of this team is going to get better. Tell me what part of the way that this roster is constructed is going to get better. Is Ike Davis, well, oh, I'm sorry, he's not the starting first baseman. Lucas Duda is. Is Lucas Duda going to suddenly become an everyday viable Major League Baseball player? Is Ruben Tejada? Is Ike Davis, who's $3.5 million sitting on the bench? Is that entire bullpen, that bullpen in its entirety, we're going to talk about this with, with Patrick Cal because I'm slowly, I'm working on a thesis about, okay. about bullpens in baseball. I'm not the only person, obviously, to be talking about this, but there is no, I'm beginning to believe there is nothing more ruinous. We've said this for a you're long not, time. You're not beginning to believe this. Yeah. You've believed this for a while. It's bearing itself out even more, I feel like. There is nothing more ruinous to a baseball team than a bad bullpen. Nothing. You can get away with a mediocre lineup, mediocre starting pitching. You can get away with probably a combination of both if you have an excellent bullpen. You cannot win with a bad bullpen. You can't. Well, and yeah. that, that bared itself out over these three games. They had the lead in all three games. Yes. And, so, law, and the bullpen lost the lead all three times. Right. But we should be clear. I, I want to be clear with you in that there's, there's no joy here. There's no congratulations. There's no happy that we're right. Or you were right. I wasn't right. There's no, you're not, you're not taking any joy. This. And I think what you said <laughs> killed me today, which was the, uh, the Santa Claus line. <laughs> like you feel like What'd you say? You wished I, I, I wish, I wish you didn't have to find out. Right. Like I, like I've been thinking this since January <laughs> and you've been telling me I'm crazy. I didn't say you were crazy. Not, no, you didn't say that I was crazy, but you didn't agree necessarily. I wanted, to see, I, I wanted to see it play out. Right. Which was fair, which actually was more fair than what I was doing, which was completely killing them before they even set foot on a field. <laughs> Turns out but I wanted to protect you from this. I didn't want you to have to, to feel this. Now, see, now I'm three months into it. So I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm just as upset, but I feel like I can, I'm better equipped to handle it right now because I've already, I had, I had your Twitter moment back in the middle of January. Yeah. I went, I went through that already. Yes. We, we, I mean, we did it on the show. It was just, it was the middle of January. So, you know, we, we, we didn't spend a whole show on it. But if you remember, we did a show back in January. And that was one of the things that you know, we did a show back in, uh, back in January where you talked about it at length, where you were with this team already coming into this season. And something that we talked about, and there's other New York sports to talk about, but we're setting the stage for Patrick here. We can talk about some other New York sports after uh, we speak with Patrick Flood, Cal. Because honestly, the, the Knicks... <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the Knicks have become interesting to me only because they could make the playoffs. 
Like they're they're an awful they're an awful team. Like they're a tremendously inconsistent team. And I just wanted to, I I wanted I do want to get your opinion maybe at the end if we have some time on what from an overall sports perspective. Like do you, if that was the Islanders, do you want them to make the playoffs? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Later. Yeah, like is it worth it or is it? It's that it's a really good de- not debate, but it's a really good conversation about if your team stinks but can still make the playoffs, do you want them to make the playoffs? Right. So anyway, but you talked about it in January. One of the things that was part of me sort of losing it today was that I had been so uh, you know willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the front office. And I think I went back and read those tweets, Bri. Which you don't remember tweeting. Right, I had to. Because much like Frank the Tank during the debate, (laughs) in old school, I blacked out. I don't know what happened. Um, And I really did walk past the Mets store, by the way, today. I believe that. My job today was on 42nd. It was at One Bryant Park. Mm -hmm. So... I was literally walking past, like I, I had this rant and I was walking back to the office and I'm walking up 42nd and I'm like, oh, come on. And of course I went in. Of course. It's like the perfect sight gag. Yeah. I didn't, it really was. Right? As, you're, as you're ripping the team, all of a sudden now here you go walking past the store. Suddenly it's... A... <laughs> and then you go in. That's the best part. <laughs> suddenly it's... it's uh, yeah, suddenly... It's a Woody Allen, like a Neil Simon movie. <laughs> and I'm tweeting ferocious, nasty things about the Mets. And I, you know, and the camera pans up and I'm standing in front of the Mets clubhouse. <laughs> I'm 42nd. Which, of course, I feel obligated to go in and look around, maybe for something for Wesley. Sure. Uh, I didn't get anything. But, um, so any, but the, the one tweet that I read back after my haze, what happened out there? is um, we've said for the longest time that Sandy Alderson does not owe the fan base an explanation of his plan. Right. And I still agree with that. However... (laughs) I don't know what you're... I'm interested to get your opinion on this. He does, or he's going to, have to answer for this team. There's a difference in my mind. Because this team that he's putting out here for 2014 has so many glaring either weaknesses and or head-scratching situations, that he's, he's got to answer for that, right? Well, he's responsible for the team that's on the... He's responsible for the personnel on the field. Yeah, and he, to his credit, I think has always taken responsibility for the personnel that he's had there. The logic behind the personnel he has this year, he has to answer for. Or, or I shouldn't say has to, I want an answer for that. I want an answer behind the logic of having three first basemen on the roster 
none of which is a viable major league player. None of the three. They're borderline major league players at best. And you have a three-person platoon. I've never even heard of a three-person platoon. A platoon is two people. I don't think you could do that. Right. <laughs> That's a squadron. Yeah. He's, not, he's, not, he's not doing a platoon. It's a squadron. They found a way. He has a squadron of first basemen. Um, I, I want to... He, to me, not to anybody else, I would like to have an answer to Ruben Tejada as your only option at shortstop. To... Omar Quintanilla as your utility infielder, who's useless. I mean, useless. He's not a viable person to play. He's given, he is, he's given you the, the explanation for Tejada because he feels that the difference between Stephen Drew and Ruben Tejada is negligible and not worth the $10 million in salary it would cost. But where, he, do, you, but where do you say that? He said that. He's absolutely said that. He actually he did say that at the season ticket holder meeting that I went to. Okay. He mentioned something along those lines. Right. He actually mentioned Stephen Drew by name. So he so he you know So he he knows who he is? He knows who he is. <laughs> they believe that Stephen Drew is is on the decline. Right. So they don't so whatever his numbers were last year, they I don't mean, expect they're, they're probably not wrong. But. No, I know, but they but but the whole point is if, if you line up what they expect Tejada to produce and what they expect Drew to produce, they can't justify spending $10 million, which is a whole other problem right. that doesn't even have anything to do with Sandy Alderson. Right, but I thought that was, yes, the, the problems are many and many platformed, but I thought that was the most interesting thing about what I said in my ranty blackout phase, was he, he doesn't have to tell me the plan. He does have to give me the rationale behind having the roster that he has. That's not even touching the bullpen. So, so this is a lineup. Right. He's back, everybody. Let's welcome back into Ready to Unload with Callan Sampede for his 37th appearance. Uh, the guy they call, well, they call him Patrick Flood. They don't, there's not a lot of other things they call him. But he's, he's back. He's come back again to, uh, to talk with us about the Mets and baseball and, and advanced metrics. And uh, maybe we'll even talk about True Detective. I don't know. Hi, Patrick. Hey, I have a, I have a thing to, to, to tell you guys that when I type in the, the phone number to join you, the first three digits of your phone number, um, it brings up a contact I have that's listed as Mo Vaughn. Because <laughs> I had a friend who, who worked at a hotel or something like that a couple of years ago, maybe probably like 10 years ago at this point, maybe not that long, maybe five years ago, <laughs> where a lot of baseball players stayed. And, and he, he he's like, that's like a thing. His hobby is sort of he like tries to friend professional baseball players on Facebook or, or get their phone numbers. He doesn't bother them, but he just has all of them. And so I guess in some way Mo Vaughn's phone number made it into my, my phone contact. I've never called it. No idea whether or not it's him, but, but when I type in the show, the show's number is the first thing that comes up is Mo Vaughn. 
Well, a, a couple things here. A, I, I think we should call him Ovon. Um, <laughs> right. B, B uh, didn't we give you an 877 number? Not like his area code is not 877, but there's right. an 877 in like that oh, series okay. of somewhere. So that's what, the first thing that comes up. Because I was going to say Movon is toll-free? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I think he has to pay to talk to Movon. How, uh, how are you, buddy? We haven't talked to you in uh, probably a cool year. How you been? Not since the last time. I'm, I'm well. I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Everything going okay up there in uh, Connecticut? Yeah, everything's still okay. It's still, you know, not, not quite New York, but, you know, <laughs> all right. It remains not quite New York, but uh, yep. it's, it's it's passing. Are you uh, are you uh, excited about the Huskies? Um, I, I've I'm from Stanford originally, which is so like Fairfield County and all that is definitely like an extension of New York, which is to say that I, like I don't care about the Huskies really, and that's like the only part of Connecticut. Everywhere else, they're nuts right. for it. Like everyone watches every single Huskies men's game. They watch all the women's games. I don't care. Um, Excellent. I guess Nor should they here. From Connecticut. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> go ahead. <you>. Yeah. <laughs> Too many of them bow to the altar of Jim Calhoun. Wow. Right. And, and, you know. And well, they do. Kevin Alley now, I guess, and all that. And now but Kevin Alley. Yeah. And Gino yeah, Ariema. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah. But. So, so here we are, Patrick. We're, we're three games in. I don't know if you, uh, how much you caught of uh, the Open today, but. Uh, we're really, actually, super excited to be able to to talk to you again here at the beginning of this 2014 Mets season, if only because um, I had a, a sort of a meltdown, blackout sort of rant today. I don't know what happened. Um, Lucas Duda struck out in the sixth inning with the tying run on base, and the next thing you know, I was turning on Sandy Alderson. I don't know what happened. Um, I can't say I was drinking. Was it was during... During the work day, but that was the three years of, of sort of losing, rebuilding teams, <laughs> and like three games into the the next season, like a six inning strikeout. That, that was it. Did it. That was it. Yeah. With the best part about it was that it was before the bullpen came in and gave up yes, five runs. Right. <laughs> well, you can't get mad before the bullpen comes in because then you'll have nothing left. You need to that's right. Like, save some of that or anger. Pace yourself. For, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, this is this is. It's funny you say that though, Patrick, because this is what Brian and I are talking about. This is not three games. This is this is this is about. Uh, Brian's been down on the Cal's been down on this team since January, with the way it was being built for 2014. Um, I was remaining optimistic. I wanted to see it play out. I, I, it's it's not about these three games. These three games are sort of symbolic. And and as I was calling it earlier in the show, not to get overly dramatic too late, uh, but it's like a confirmation of failure in that the exact things that were left unaddressed have been the glaring parts of – I mean, I know nobody's hit, but they have a single out of the first base position and three guys there who are not major league players, for example. I know Ruben Tejada has like three hits, but – he also is involved in the play where he doesn't know that he can knock the catcher over. And then, you know, in the ninth inning, it's questionable whether he should come home with that ball in a one-run game or not. He doesn't – he's not showing – he's got three hits. Let's not all have a parade. 
Well, the only guy that's hitting is the guy that wasn't supposed to be in the lineup. That's right. You know, Chris Young, you can't, you, you can't kill Sandy Alderson for Chris Young getting hurt, but he got hurt. You know, right, right. At, he's played a half an inning. And Curtis Granderson started out over his first 10 with five strikeouts. And, the, and then the bullpen. And then the bullpen. So it's not three games. Right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, it's, it's sort of like uh, the bullpen and, and first base, I think. I like I like Tahad. I think Tahad is going to be fine. I think that it's very hard to play as well as he did in in 2011 and 2012. And he like played very poorly in 2013. And I think the Mets didn't quite do the right thing by kind of like just banishing him to the minors for for most of the season and, and that sort of thing. But I think it, it's hard to play as well as Tahad did in in those two years. And then just like he's not going to be terrible for the rest of his career. He'll be okay. Um, Are but you sure? Case, I'm, I, yeah, it, it's like he got, he was definitely too young. In 2010, they brought him up, he was, he was too young, and like he hit like 212 or something like that, and like he, he wasn't ready, but, he, you know, he hit 212 was like, you know, somebody who probably should have been a double A. So you can give him some slack there. He, was, he hit well in 2011, hit well in 2012. He hit poorly for sort of like two months in 2013, and they sent him to the minors, and they kind of, you know, decided he maybe he really does have an attitude problem, they decided he didn't have a few problems. And, and now it's like everyone has turned on him. Or, you know, not the team maybe, but it seems like the fans and the media have all sort of turned on him, and, and now he's kind of got to prove everybody wrong because he's... Well, and his manager, too. Yeah, his manager. But the Mets, it's sort of like they have this weird thing with some of their players where, you know, when everybody leaves now, they, like, bash them. And even people you would never expect to sort of have issues, like when Justin Turner, you know, then when they didn't bring him back, it's all of a sudden Justin Turner doesn't run out ground balls. It's just like... Did anyone say that, like, all the years he was there? That, like, did anyone be like, oh, Justin Turner didn't run out that ground ball? And then, but Patrick, like, this, is, this, is, this is, they've been doing this for years, years. There's just more outlets for it. I mean, yeah, that's, they, that's, right. that's the truth. Like, with Beltran all those years. And... No, but I'm saying, Cal, you know, this goes, right. back, to, this goes back to George Foster well, in 86. Yeah. I mean, they released George Foster, and then they called him a racist. You know, like, this goes way, the Mets do this. On they, the way out, they do this. They're like the mafia. Like on your way out, they you know they they trash you so you'll never be in another family, or whatever. Like they, it's it's like muerta when you leave the Mets. Oh, They've been Seaver. Look at Seaver. They did it to Tom Seaver. PR thing where the, you know, even if it's not true, you say like, oh well, like with R. A. Dickey, like R. A. Dickey, some people yep. are concerned he's more into like you know being a star than a baseball yep. player. Something, like something sort of absurd like that, but then it just puts it in everybody's mind. Like, you know, well, maybe he's not such a great guy. Kind of like, even if it's not true at all, it just puts that thought in your mind, and then you're a little bit, make, maybe it makes it easier to sort of be on board. With exactly. They have, this, they have this strange PR um, sort of, uh, what's, the, what's the word? Uh, it's not idea. Well, idea is fine. They sort of had this strange PR idea that the fans need to be given some reason why we're cutting ties with this player. So let's let's make sure that the fans don't want him anymore, or there's something wrong with him, or we, we're not doing anything wrong. Okay, we're, we're we're getting rid of the guy, and it's smart to get rid of him. Here's why: because yeah, R.A. Dickey's a diva, and Carlos Beltran is this, and it, and they've been doing this for hundred years, and it, it's one guy. I mean, it's Jeff Wilpon. Is it, well, is it Jeff Wilpon or is it Jay Horowitz? Well, 
Jay Horowitz sort of is like the the traffic cop. As Robin Williams would say, the traffic cop on Valium is just he's like, okay. Stop. Oh wait, don't do that interview, Harvey. I'm exhausted. And I'm sure Jay Horowitz is. I mean, Patrick, I know you had dealings with him when you were working for Mets Block. And, well, and I'm, 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 I'm sure he's a perfectly nice guy. But the, the PR game is... I don't... I don't think sort of like the PR... Um, what is his official job? I don't think that's what he does. I don't think he's, his, he's not in charge of spinning things necessarily. Or that sort of well, thing. He's, I think. The, he's the PR director. Well, he's so like the vice president of communications now, right? Well, his job is just sort of... I think a lot of, for a lot of teams, they're... That, that that job is just to sort of be in the room and make sure everything's running, like literally in the room with the reporters and the players. Yeah. And, and, and he's doing a hell of a job with that. Runs the press conferences and all and all that sort of. Yeah, thing. no, I'm not. I'm not blaming him for the for the bad mojo that gets out there. He's a he's a PR director. He makes sure the players right, talk the to. Right, the bad mojo stuff is, is just there's a lot of people who work for a baseball team on on some level, and you can probably find somebody who's willing to say, oh, you know, this guy's a jerk, kind of thing. Yeah. But it happens so often with the Mets that you start to think it's a he's just one guy hates everybody and we'll talk to the media <laughs> about it for. Could be, could be just one guy if they could just find him. Um, but it, going back to going back to that other point, it it is a culmination of three years into this season, and I think the other problem that people have. So you were talking about Tejada. You were saying that the first base, Patrick, is silly. It's silly. I'm sorry. He has to. He doesn't have to tell me his plan. Okay. I know he's been putting this plan into play for three years. I trust Sandy Alderson as a baseball guy. I do. I still respect him. I think calling him an idiot or calling him stupid—that's not what I'm into. My question right now is: I would like to ask him what's the rationale going into this season with with Satin Davis and Duda. And there's not a there's not a vi- there's arguably a viable major league player out of the three of them, and then to let Terry Collins play all three of them the first three I mean just right this is I why this the, is why people say they don't know what they're doing this is why I don't think there's anything wrong with having all three of those guys on a major league roster at the same time I think the bad thing is sort of like having all off season to think about it, having all spring training to think about it. Going for like playing like one each day for the first three games, and then being like, okay, now we're going to go do that. Because that just seems like a weird reactionary thing. Then, that but why is almost, why is Ike Davis still on this team? I, I why is Ike Davis still on, still on the team? Right, he's still on the team because they want to. They don't want to just give him away. They want to trade him for something that they can use. They didn't get any deals they liked enough during the off season, and and that's. I think that's something Sandy Olsen is willing to do, like with Scott Hairston, that if he doesn't get the trade that he wants, he'll hang on to the guy. And Okay. But but don't you that, think... That, I mean, Cal says all the time, like... I'm sorry? I think that, that screws him over sometimes, where then you have, like, three first bases on your roster to in a season. But then it worked out, I think you saw last year with, with Marlon Bird, where they were trade Bird and Bucks for, in August for... Uh, you know, two prospects on the fire from Dilson Herrera and uh, Dilson Herrera and Vic Black. And I think part of that was because they, they held on to Harrison the year before, so teams knew, like, you actually have to give them what they want or they'll just hang on to the guys. They won't. Right. They're not going But that's different than – go ahead, Cal. Cal well, no, well, your point on this is always – is, I think, accurate, the idea of symbols. It's less about Ike Davis as a player and more right. about Ike Davis – 
Lucas Duda, Ruben Tejada, these guys. Go ahead. These yeah. guys, are, these are, they're symbols. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to a lesser extent, Daniel Murphy, Jonathan Nice. These are guys that have been with the team for the last three years, and they failed with these guys. So I felt like coming into 2014, and I'd be interested to get your take on it, Patrick. Coming into this year, I know they don't have Harvey, and I know that they kind of – Whatever he says, I, I believe that they approached this year differently than they would have if Harvey was pitching. But I felt like coming into this year, they just sometimes you need to shake things up for the sake of shaking things up. You need to jettison guys just because they've been here for a number of years and it's not working. And Ike Davis is the perfect example of that. I feel like Sandy Alderson is almost too deliberate when he's trying to make a trade. You know, he's, he's calm and, and he's patient and he waits out the market. And, and we've seen with Wheeler and we've seen with um, Syndergaard and Darno to a lesser extent, that he, he can make good deals. But sometimes he needs to make a deal for the sake of making a deal. And I, just, I wanted to get your opinion on that, Patrick. I, I think I'm going to actually say the opposite of that. I think one of the problems with the Mets test three years, and especially thinking about it now, is that they've done a couple of reactionary things, not necessarily deals, but sort of um, like is, is basically the goal for the last three years was just to, you know, like what Epic with Danny Alter did, was to cut the payroll, get the payroll down to, to where they have flexibility, which is really just, we don't have money, we need to cut the payroll. And, but also while like getting talent and developing talent and all that, it doesn't like make, it doesn't make sense to me to like last year to have, Ike Davis and Ruben Tejada, like hanging out in the minors to sort of just punish them or because you want to be competitive or some kind of strange thing like that. And, it, both, and neither of those guys need to be in but the minor league. Those guys need to be in the major leagues. Like mm-hmm. My point is that either, either you're trying to win right now or you're just trying to develop those guys. And if you're just trying to develop the guys, you just let them hang out in the major league. You go figure it out. Figure it out in the major league. You don't, like, send him down to the minors and play Omar Quintanilla for three months because there's no point in that. So Omar Quintanilla is not going to be part of the future of the match, and he doesn't help me now anyway. But there's, there, I, I understand that, and, and I understand that for last year. <clears throat> but there, there comes a point, especially with Ike Davis, to a lesser extent, uh, extent Ruben Tejada, who, you're right, is, you know, at that point is 22 years old. What good is going to the minor leagues going to do him? You need to find out if he can play. That's why I have no trouble with them running Travis Darno out there every day until he hits or he doesn't. You need to find out what Travis Darno is this year, regardless of whether you're a competitive team or not. You need to find out if he's your everyday catcher. But with Ike Davis last year, at some point, you have to do something. You can't run. I mean, there's, there's the eye test where he looks so bad he's not a major league player anymore. Like, how much, how much damage are you doing by sending him out there every day to suck so badly. I mean, we're not talking about a guy who was, you know, hitting 215 and had 10 home runs. And, I mean, we're talking about a guy, Patrick, who I was failed to be a major league hitter for 100 at-bats, at least, right. consecu- consecutively. Like crap, I think there's some value in just, like, being, like, saying to a guy, we're not sending you down. You're a guy, this is your year. Like, you figure it out. You know, you've got the rest of the year. You know, show us what you can do. But didn't they, didn't, they tr- didn't they try that with him early in the year last year? Like, when everybody was calling for him to go down right away in April. And they sat they him did, down and they said, we're they, not... But they did, it, they did it the year before and it worked. They, I mean, but they kept so him up for an extra month. 
And I just with Davis, I, I, I think it gets to a point of diminishing returns where you're failing so, so very much and so consistently on the major league level that at some point you've got to send the guy down to AAA and have him figure it out. You know, I, right. I think you're yeah. I think you're right with Tejada, but I think Davis was a different story. But moving forward to but but again, either way, and 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 I don't necessarily strongly disagree with you at all because I, for one, understood why they kept Ike up as long as they did. I just thought it got to a point where it was ridiculous with Ike. Like he was, you know, you you're having bad at bats. This could be detrimental for the guy's career for like the rest of his career. But right, but I, I think. I guess the, the Davis and the Tata stuff, it's sort of, since 2011, how many position players, like every position players, have the Mets successfully developed and added to their lineup, kind of when Sandy Alderson How many have up. they developed since 2004? <laughs> right. I mean, well, like, right and... Right and Reyes. Right. Right, right, and Reyes, and well, I mean, like Daniel Murphy has become an everyday player. Like Daniel Murphy is, and I, I agree with you. Daniel Murphy is a solid everyday player. At, right, at Murphy, best. and it looks like they've stumbled into Lagares. Um, it's of. too early, too early to tell, but it's entirely possible. I love Juan Lagares, but I, I still think it's too early to tell. But right, he's he's a navy. But it was kind of like they had when Daniel showed up. They had a couple of guys. They had, you know, right was their third baseman, but then they had. Tejada and they had Davis and they had Murphy and they had kind of three guys who looked like these guys might be able to be everyday players and only one of them is kind of right now looks like he could be he's the guy. But like don't you but this year don't they weren't they coming into 2014 expecting to be competitive? And so that point about Davis still being around, Duda still being around, Tejada still being around. These guys, you know, Tejada to a lesser extent for for the points that you made in that he is still young and he did have, you know, uh, success at a young age or whatever, and he's a shortstop. But but still, Tejada's in that mix. And you want to be competitive this year. These guys, at some point, you have to cut bait with them and move on right. from them, especially when there are other options there. Like, you're supposed to be competitive. This is not a development year. This was supposed to be a competitive year. Yeah, I think this year is, I think they're saying it's a competitive year, but it's really, it's a competitive development year. It's a, you know, we're going to win. We want to try to win as many games as possible here. We're I don't think that's, I don't think that's true at all. Deadline. Right, but I think, but also, you know, we don't have really a first pick, and we're going to try to figure that out as we go in. We don't have a bullpen. I think the plan seems to be, we're just going to have a crap bullpen for a month, and then we're going to start bringing guys up from AAA. But, you know, good luck in April, guys. But, Patrick, do you think that the plan for 2014 changed when Harvey got hurt? Because we heard 2014 for, for a number of years, that that was the year all the money was coming off the books. They'd have more payroll flexibility. They might be able to start adding guys back in. And then Harvey got hurt. And I feel like the way that he approached this past offseason is not – what we were led to believe he was going to do. No, I, I mean, you can imagine that maybe they would have gone a little bit more all in um, this year if, if Harvey wasn't hurt. But I don't, I, mean, I don't think necessarily it's, I'm, I'm sorry, Patrick, I was just going to say, I don't think, and maybe you agree with this. I don't think it was necessarily free agency either. I think it was a no, trade. I agree. 
I think if Harvey was healthy, I think there's a trade Sandy Alderson might have made with that young pitching that he didn't want to make once Harvey got hurt, like an impact trade. Yeah, that's that's I think something maybe. I mean, obviously you don't you don't know you, you don't want to play that game too much. Like, what if this guy didn't get hurt? Because at the same time, then yeah, no, 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 no. no but but I, I, think I think it changed. I think it changed their plan. Yeah, I think it changed right, their I, plan. Nobody thought Matt Harvey was going to be as good as Matt Harvey was. You know, like June of 2012, nobody knew he was going to be this good. Right. Right. No, of course. I. I mean, I think coming into you know, this offseason, it changed their plan, and I don't think they're competitive this year. I think they're they're viewing this year as another development year. I really do. I think they'll be okay this year. I think things look worse now. They really do because they're they have more at this point. I think by June, by May, they'll have more starting pitchers ready to go than they'll have lost in the rotation, which means some of those guys are going to get bumped to the bullpen, and that'll help with the bullpen. I just don't know what improves on this team. I really don't. I mean, Syndergaard at some point will come up. Uh, maybe. I don't think they're ever going to use Syndergaard in the bullpen, ever. Right, but Syndergaard won't be in the bullpen, but that means somebody else will be in the bullpen. Montero, I, I think maybe Montero ends up in the bullpen for a little bit this year. I think Jacob DeGrom ends up in the bullpen. Right, how do we know that? How do we know they're good? Um, well, you don't, but <laughs> they can't be worse than you guys. Um. <laughs> well, that's uh, look. Look, that's another thing we have to take apart because you or unpack a little bit. Because again, if this if this year was supposed to be, we were we were sold a. I hate this expression, but it's appropriate. We were sold a bill of goods that this was going to be a competitive year to the tune of even the GM. In a private conversation, which I defended him to the teeth and will defend him to the teeth for saying, said that we should set our goals higher. We should not accept losing. We should want to win, you know, 90 games, whatever that number is. It's not important. He said it in a private conversation. They have more leaks than the Titanic. Fine. They should get John Itzik in there. But I, I think that there are still there, – there were, there were things to add – to this team to make them more competitive. If you're going to tell me that they wanted to be both, they wanted to be competitive and uh, developmental at the same time this year and take a step. There were things to add that they didn't, that they simply didn't. I mean, Kendry Morales is sitting out there right now and they signed Bobby Abreu. Like, they signed Bobby Abreu. I mean, Bobby, I mean, you know, I, Bobby Bray is only going to cost, you know, $800,000. And Kendrick Morales, I think, still costs a draft pick. Right, but but Kendrick Morales could come in and be your everyday first baseman, which you don't have one of right now. Right, I'm, well, I'm not sure. If you just played Lucas Duda base, I think you'd be fine. I'm not sure if he would oh, be much worse. No, I know. I know it's, it's like he's had bad stretches and... But I think overall in his career, it's you know he's, he's I don't think he's that much worse of a hitter than Kendrick Morales. Like overall in his numbers, uh, I don't really think not. If, you know he, he, he I mean these are these proje- are these like projected numbers? <laughs> no, his actual like his career is OPS. You know, I mean, but Kendrick, Kendrick Morales has had it. has had seasons where he's actually hit home runs. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and, and like, Buda hasn't played a full season, basically. Um, well, he's going to now. 
Well, right. he's at least going to play a month. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, Patrick. I'm, I'm joking around. I just, Cal and I, and, and I've tried so hard to get on, on board with Lucas Duda. I really have. And I just, I watch the at-bats. I see the brain working way too hard. I see a guy who, to me, never just lets himself go. And I don't know what happened there. Yeah, see, I, you know, I'm, I, I know that there's a place for the advanced metrics and for the, for the stats and for the numbers, and, and, and I get that. And I'm not, I'm not so old school that I reject them completely. But when I watch Lucas Duda, I just, I just feel like he stinks. <laughs> I, I just feel like he's never – at the plate, he, to me, he's always thinking too much. He's always uh, – he's not aggressive enough. We had a really interesting conversation about uh, – Cal and I did yesterday. Well, at least we thought it was interesting. About uh, – this is a good place for this Lucas Duda discussion to lead us to. The difference – I don't think people understand Moneyball in a way when it comes to hitting and taking pitches. Do you? Um, it, it sort of – you mean the, the approach the Mets are trying to teach their players? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's a grand misconception about what Moneyball is in terms of plate discipline, uh, at-bat approach, what guys are trying to do in a particular at-bat uh, you know, there there seems to be this idea that Moneyball is just get on base any way you can, and you you know you want to walk, and so you take pitches and you take strikes and you take take take, and you know you, you you're not aggressive at all. You make and the I, pitcher work, and right? You, and you, you and that's not that's not what it is. I mean, you know, I think the Mets try to teach their players to get in uh, hitting count. <laughs> System-wide thing. I get anything because just like they pretty much don't swing at bad pitches is what they're trying to. Don't get yourself out. I mean, that's that's right. what that's the the approach of Moneyball is to get yourself into hitters counts and don't get yourself out by swinging at bad pitches. There's a difference right. between they, they kind of tell their hitters to zone in on sort of like two thirds of the plate. Like if you're looking for something inside, anything outside, just don't worry about it until you get the two strikes. If you're looking for a pitch inside, you look like middle. In the middle part of the plate and the inside part of the plate, and you just forget about the outside corner. And if the guy throws a straight in the outside corner, you know that's fine. Right. There's you also, sort of... and there's also. I'm sorry, Patrick. And also, Sandy Olson has talked about this a bunch with Juan Lagares. Bring up Juan Lagares again as a guy who's getting it. He's he's taking the approach and putting it to good use. Where he's saying, just because you're two and zero in account doesn't mean you take. You're not taking a strike there. Your desire is right. not to get a walk. It's situational. If you're 2-0 and and you're, you're sitting in a fastball count and you know that the pitcher is, you know, throws fastballs 85% of the time, or well, nobody does but Bartolo Colon, but 65% of the time or whatever in the fifth inning and he's throwing 75 pitches and you're sitting at 2-0 and and you should be aggressive. That's the time to be aggressive in the zone for a fastball. That's the time to look for a breaking pitch. It's, it's not telling you to take so you can get on base. That's not what money ball is. Right. Well, look at today's look at today's game in the first inning when Lucas Duda worked out that ten pitch. He had the ten pitch at bat and he walked, loaded the bases. Pitching coach went to the mound to talk to the pitcher. Lagaris came up and he knew the first pitch he was going to see was going to be a fastball down the middle. Absolutely. And he, and, and he didn't take any pitches in that bat. He locked in on that first pitch and he and he drove the ball to the outfield to, to drive in a run. 
So that's not like yeah. that. You wouldn't think that that's Moneyball. But it is Moneyball. That's a hitter's count. Yeah, you, you He's looking for. You, know, you want to swing at good pitches. You don't want to swing at bad pitches. You don't want to do exactly. what the pitcher wants you to do. You want to find something that you can hit. Yeah. And right. it's, it's it's less about getting walks and more about not getting yourself out. Right. And when people say sort of plate discipline and, and sort of the idea of discipline is like a constant, you, you don't ever want to swing at the bad pitches. Like, you know, you, you want to make it a habit. Like, a, you only swing at good pitches. You only swing at pitches you can hit and you can hit well. Yeah, well, exactly. So well, Patrick said it best. It's it's like you're take, the batter's taking control of the at-bat rather right. than allowing the pitcher to control the at-bat. That's right. Absolutely. And I think that there's a, a grand misconception about that. But I also think that for certain players, it's not being taught well or it's not sinking in. I think certain players, certain hitters are viewing it as they're thinking too much, they're taking too much, they're not being aggressive, and they're viewing it. And they did this last year, too. Um, and, and, and Lucas Duda is one of those players to me. Lucas Duda is one of those players who takes more 2-0 fastballs down the middle of the plate than I've ever seen. Well, Duda... And, and I know he has a high... You know, I know he has the Joey Votto number with the most pitches seen per at bat, and I know he's got a great eye. A lot, also, I think, he, I think he seems like somebody who guesses a lot. I think he's a guess hitter. Well, um, and, and he shouldn't be. He doesn't need to be. Because he, he's, he has such a good eye that he puts himself in hitter's counts often, and then he gets himself out of that hitter's count immediately by taking too many pitches. You know, he doesn't seem to me to... He seems to be in his head. And uh, look, Lucas, we're going to find out because we're going to get Lucas Suda for a month. But I was looking up Kendry Morales' numbers and even, even his advanced ones. It just Lucas Suda has never done it for a season. Well, Kendry Morales is a better... And when you're saying really well, he's a better hitter than I mean, last last year, in last year he had not last year because that would be with a J. Last year, he had 600 at bats and hit 277 with 23 home runs, 80 RBIs. I mean, I know these are basic stats, but he still had a 330, three, uh, 330, yeah, uh, 336 on base percentage, 449 slugging. He had a 785 OPS. He had 2.7 WAR. In 156 games, like that would be that, that would be the starting first baseman on the Mets right now, would it not? Um, yeah, he would probably. But it's not just a question of that; it's a question of you know. It, then you have to pay money and you have to give up the draft pick, and oh. they, they the Mets don't think that they are in a point in terms of competitive where it's worth giving up the draft pick and the money. To, you so, know, improve yourself in first base a little bit. Not, so it's not. So it's not a competitive year. Uh, no, it's it's definitely not. An, it's not an all-in year. It's not a. They're not. You know. Um, it seems like there's a lot, little more. Like the year matters a little bit, but it doesn't matter. It's not the most single most important thing in in for the, the team. I feel like they're relying on hope again. Oh, they're hoping guys do what they think they're going to do. I'm getting tired of hoping. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's 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 a frustration because to me the Kendrick Morales, I, the idea of Kendrick Morales is one thing in five ways they could have made this club better for this year without sacrificing development. Like when it, when is when are we when have we seen enough of Lucas Duda or Ike Davis? Like how long are you going to continue? Todd, I can sort of see because he's still only twenty four, but you know guys like that. Like when is enough? 
When have, when have we seen enough? Or are we going to continue to develop? You know what I mean? Like I, I right. that, that's that's the frustration to me coming into this year. Like I didn't even have a problem with the Chris Young signing. I really didn't. Cal had a problem with it. I think they overpaid, but they I think they overpaid because they didn't know what the market was going to be, and there's no way they could have figured out what the market was going to be three or four months I think later. They and over, I think they they overpaid because that's the guy they wanted. They think that Chris Young is a good fit for them. I think he's a good fit yeah. for City Field because. Yeah, I and it was also the beginning of the offseason. Yeah. Right, they, they saw last year what happens when you have, like, three guys who can field a little bit in the outfield. You know, they play, like, a 500 team like that. Um, yeah, especially when you play all three of them at once. Right, right. So now this year, I think they, I, I think to Eric M. Jr., I don't think Eric M. Jr. is going to take playing time away from the guards. I don't think that was ever a real thing that was going to happen. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't trust Sandy as far as – or uh, Terry Collins as far as I can throw him. That's a whole other – Think, I think Terry Collins has a pattern of pretending he's going to give playing time to the veteran guy when he really wants to give it to the younger guy. Uh, that's interesting. I think that's a thing that that he does. I don't think he'll ever. Where does that? Where where have you seen that's extraordinarily interesting? Where have you seen that pattern bear itself out? Um. Well, like all spring, they were talking about how I mean, Dice K was going to be the fifth starter, and then surprise, it's Mejia, which is you know they're not dumb. They know who's better than they know which players are better. I think for the most part, the front office and, and Terry Collins have a pretty good idea of who they really want to play. But I think they want their young players to beat out the veteran guys. Um, so I think you were seeing that with Lagares and, and Eric Young Jr. this year. And there's nothing wrong with that. You want your guys to be in competition because if, if sure. like, Kim outplays Lagares, then that's the guy you want playing. But um, you would you would think you just want the best player out there at every position, right? Wait, is it what you want the best player at every position? Right? Yeah. Well, you want right? you, you want the you want the guy. Yeah, you want the guy regardless of whether it's a veteran or a rookie or a guy you like or don't like. It right. doesn't matter. You just want the one the guy who's going to play the best at the position, right? You want you want the best player out there. Yeah. Yeah. Like like Wilmer Flores, for example. Oh wait. Well. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it might be a little too soon on on Wilmer. Well, look, my only problem with Wilmer Flores and that the handling of that situation is that I don't think he was ever given a fair shake to play shortstop. So, and and that's fine. I look, there were things they could have done to improve this team. There were things they could have done to improve the bullpen. There were things that they they clearly while saying one thing out of one side of their mouth about this being a competitive year and things leaking about 90 wins and losing is not going to be tolerated. Uh, out of one side of their mouth, on the other side of their mouth, they're treating this as another developmental year. And they're telling you, wait till 2015 when we have all these young arms in the rotation. So here we are. 159 to go. <laughs> <laughs> they're, I have well, a, they're not going to lose all of them. So. No, they shouldn't. <laughs> they shouldn't. No, this is why we have Patrick on. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna win. Because we 70. really believe they're gonna lose the rest of them right we, now. Right. No, they're, I don't. No, 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 no. We're not. We're not. You know, we're we're not those people. No, I know. It this feels is, it feels that way. It is. This is not about these three games. I tell you what, they could go ten and seventeen this month. They could. Yeah, that that's might a, happen. Um, that's a very difficult schedule. And ten and seventeen is being generous. I had them at yeah, eight and nineteen. The bullpen is really bad, and the bullpen is a problem. Um, well, this is that brings me to two questions I have for you. 
that Cal and I have been dying to talk about. Number one, okay, just uh, Cal, I have to ask him. I have to ask him about the Darno Wrecker thing. I have to. This has been driving me crazy since Monday. All right. Okay, so Patrick. Yep. I I don't care for Terry Collins. Okay. I'm I'm very <laughs> I'm very annoyed that they gave him an extension. I I think he's a fine man. I think he's a very good baseball guy. I think it was again for the same idea be- behind Ike Davis and. Ruben Tejada and Lucas Duda and, you know, I think it was time to move on. I think it was time to give him his gold watch and bump him upstairs and thank him for his caretaking of this team for three years uh, and not give him an extension. And I know he's had no talent and uh, blah, 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 blah. I don't think he's a very good manager. I really don't. Um, I think the bullpen is bad and I think he doesn't know how to manage it, which makes it worse. But the Um. other thing... Well, okay. I think, the, I think the bullpen is just bad. I think that's. I don't know whether or not he's he's he, somebody else could manage that bullpen better, but they just they just don't have good pitchers. They don't have you know like Robert Carson pitched like thirty something innings from this next game. Robert Carson is just not he was not a major league pitcher in that. Yeah, context. no, I know. Uh, I un, I understand that. I understand that. But then he's the guy who used Scott Rice sixty eight times last year. Oh, that's he's, okay. That would definitely be that he, he destroys his left-handed relievers. I think that's true. I think he, right, Burdak. Burdak. He's going to have to get another guy, like, a dude you know, left for every right. destroy it. Yeah. And it's usually going to have to be a guy like Rice, who no one's ever seen before, so you can get away with using him for a year. Right. Um, and then, and then that second, because Scott Rice is going to be absolutely useful, uh, useless this year. He's going to be useless. Like the entire league's seen him. They know his stuff. And Terry's going to run him out there every day. Right. Well, they, they, that's been good. like they did that with Feliciano, and then they did that with yeah. Burdak. Yeah. But don't you it. find him? Don't you find him to be way too booky with the bullpen? I mean, heaven forbid a lefty pitches to a righty when they don't have to. I mean, taking Carlos Torres out of that game on opening day, for example. Like, why? Why? It's opening yeah, I day. Think, I, this is like unrelated to Terry Collins or the Mets in general, but. I think whatever team can figure out how to keep relief pitchers from coming in and walking guys on four pitches will have a huge advantage. Like, how often do you see a starting pitcher come in and walk the first guy on four pitches? Never. You know, like maybe occasionally. Wait, wait. See, like, this season. Where's you Ollie? Like, in that year, you'll see a starting pitcher come in and start the game with a four-pitch walk. Where's, where's Ali Perez? Right. That's, where that's, shooting, that's where that's happening. I see it occasionally. But how many times do you see a reliever come in and walk the first guy on four pitches? That happens, happens all the time. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and so whatever <laughs> yeah. team can figure out how to make sure that when their relievers come in, they can throw a strike. Like, even just one strike to, to just kind of be, okay, I can throw a strike. I'm not going to walk this guy on four pitches. We'll have a huge advantage. Well, I think that's why Latroy Hawkins was, you know, a revelation in the bullpen last year. Because he threw strikes. I mean, he may get knocked around the park every once in a while. But, he th- like, Sandy Alderson has failed, and I know it's not an uncommon failure, but he's failed to get relief pitchers that throw strikes. Yeah, you know, it would have been great, nice to the, say on to Hawkins, even if they overpaid yeah. him a little bit. Just they, oh, you know, they need, heaven forbid. They need guys that they can, you know, they need relievers. They need, like, just two or three guys, and then you, you, what you really need is, it seems like the bullpen plan this year, like, we're going to have Parnell, 
and either Valverde or Farnsworth, they were hoping we'd, we'd and it looks like Valverde maybe will be okay. Um, and then they, I think they were thinking of Rice, and then they were figuring Torres will be okay, and then, like, Familia and Herman, who both, like, Familia, even though he can't throw strikes, it, when he gets the ball over the plate, it seems like opposing teams can't hit it. And Herman has, really, Herman has great stuff, too, but, it, you know, he just... Yeah, like, could change up, but, but it's sort of like those two, you're just hoping that, as, like, a switch is magically going to flip, and they're going to be able to throw strikes. You can see it's, like, <laughs> some pitchers, like, pitchers who are, like, kind of know what they're doing. It's like they have a plan, and they're trying to do something with the opposing hitter, whereas, like, Familia and Herman, the whole plan is, like, Ah oh, crap! I gotta throw. A, like I have to throw this over the plate, and that's the only like part of the plan. Like that's the whole plan. It's just like I need to throw it somewhere near where the catcher is set up, and that's the right. only thing about lying out here. <laughs> Great! I'm three and zero again. Great. Right. Like, and that, that's it. Like, there's no point in having the plan beyond. There's no point in being like, okay, like fastball in, and then like a change up away here. It's just like fastball somewhere near the catcher's mitt, and then like change up somewhere near the catcher's. Mitt. <laughs> And and just hope that that works. Like that'll be enough. Uh, the 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 move I'm referring to uh, from Monday, and that really nobody's talked about. And and this is this was an early sign that my head was going to explode. In the tenth inning of that game, after the pass ball and the sacrifice fly and the, the Nats go ahead uh, five to four, and uh, he brings in Lannon. Uh, and he takes familiar out. He took out Travis Darno, and he put in Anthony Recker, the last player on his bench, on was a short, a on a short day, right? Was it a straight up switch? I don't remember. It was a double switch for a player who was not hitting for six spots. Okay, so it was weird. So Duda was yeah. up. Duda was in the nine spot. So it was nine, one, two, three, four. Five, and then uh, Wrecker went into the pitcher spot, which was six, and then Darno was hitting seven. Okay. Okay. So there is zero, and I mean zero, logical reason to put in your backup catcher as a defensive replacement during an inning in a one-run extra inning game ever. Ever. Was it Ever. was that they double switched in the game? When was, was that in extra innings? Was that when Familia came in the game originally? No, no that was no. after no, uh, it was after the pass ball. Was yeah. that so was when they brought in Lannon? Yeah, yeah, right after the pass ball. And were they already losing at that point, or yeah. they were losing? Right. They were losing five to four, not uh, or or uh, what was it, six to five? Okay. Right, I five think, four is up. I think, or, and I then Lannon gave up the three-run home run. If the game was tied, I would understand it because then you want you figure you double switch in because you want Landon to, to like pitch three. No, 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 no. But that no. wasn't right. That wasn't what happened though. But not only that, you 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 still don't make a double switch then, because Why? the because you never put your backup catcher in the game defensively, and leave yourself without a catcher if he breaks his right. finger on the first pitch. And then you're you stuck, have you have yeah. no catcher. Yeah, especially with the, with a the catcher. I mean, he's susceptible well, to getting hurt. Any other, any other position, you can do it. Yeah. And he's not hitting for six spots. So, in other words, if you so at the time the game is five to four, it's a one run game in the tenth inning, and you you, you have a short bench because Murphy is with his uh, his wife, right? 
So you have a short yeah. bench, and Chris and Chris Young is hurt. So you have a short right. bench. I don't understand. I don't understand why that happened. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible move. The only reason to make it is if you're punishing Darno for the pass ball, which would be completely be weird. Or I, I guess the only maybe Terry Collins is just like it's the first game of the season. It's a day game. There's People no are reason. Have they're they're off tomorrow. There's no right. reason they're to like do off it. Off the next, but they 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 had Darno start. Um, There's no reason. Night. It's terrible. Um, well, they, they they had him play last night. They had him play today during a day game too. So, you but, know, but it's, just, it's, 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 that's the only. The it's like a weird two out in the tenth inning. It's like a plausible theory. Is right. It's just like you save him from having to catch one and more out. It, right. it makes it makes it's a terrible tactical move because if a, if Wrecker takes a foul ball off his foot and breaks his foot, guess what? Right, then you don't have a catcher anymore. Um, then Eric Young is going to have to come in and catch. Uh, I don't know who their emergency, their emergency catcher is. It would, but it wouldn't matter. You had no position player left on the bench. Well, yeah, that's right. You would have to use a position in, uh, a pitcher, a pitcher in the field. somewhere in the field. Then we would have had the Orozco McDowell thing in the outfield. The timing of it was just very curious too. That's the only reason why we're suggesting that there might have been it something looked, nefarious it, at play. Right. It looked like a punishment, and if it was a punishment for a pass ball. Then I'm sorry, Terry Collins really needs to go because there's no way you admonish but and punish a 24 year old catcher on opening day. I'm sure there was like some kind of weird reason that we just don't nothing know about. Like maybe Darnell got hit, fought weird by the ball, or something like that, and you just never find out about things like that. I bet Man, like I hope so. That that happened during the baseball season, and you just never hear about like somebody comes out of the game, and you're like, that was weird. I don't know why that happened. And it's because he's sick, or he has maybe he maybe Darno had the flu. You know, you maybe don't know. Flu too. But the, but the point is, why do you wait till there's two outs in the tenth inning after right. a pass ball? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's I, and you know what bothers me the most? Well, bothers me the second most about it. I think we've all heard what bothers me the most about it. It's one of the worst tactical moves a manager can possibly make is to leave himself without a catcher when he doesn't need to. Um, is nobody asked the question? Nobody, nobody. Nobody asked the question. I brought it up on Mets Twitter, and Mets Twitter people were like, that's a great question. I have no idea. I think when Lannan gave up the home run, I, people forgot what happened because they were focused more on that. <laughs> they have a ten. Right, then you're just like, oh, God, the bullpen, right? And you don't really care why the <laughs> Right. Yeah. But this is, that, that was microcosmic of... Microcosmic? That sounds filthy. That's not it. But, Patrick, I want your... <laughs> I'd like to get your opinion on Terry Collins. What do you, how do you feel? Do you think he's the right guy for this team right now? Um, they seem to think he is, and I don't... <laughs> I think... I think lowing endorsement. Yeah, they, the, they do, don't but, they? Right, with all you, like, and, and a huge chunk of the manager's job are things that, that fans don't see and we don't see because all you get to see really in Judge Mon are in-game decisions and he makes those for... He does something as well. Like, they don't intentionally wall people that often. They really don't bunt that often. They bunt sometimes, but every team bunts sometimes. They don't have that many dumb bunts. Um, yeah. They they bunt the appropriate amount for a National League team. Right. They pinch hit a lot. He uses a lot of pinch hitters. <laughs> yeah, um, he really pretty does. Pretty aggressive with that, which is the kind of thing that, that you don't really notice until you look at like how many pinch, how many pinch hitters he uses, and, and so that's good too. So he says, well, we'll think that the bullpen usage can be weird, but I don't think he's had a good bullpen 
Um, his like rationale for starting people sometimes can be weird. Like, Regaris hit leadoff yesterday because Eric Young was like over eight against the other guy, which is kind of like, right? You know, um, you'd probably rather just have your best players in there and, and not kicking guys out because they're over eight. Um, right. I mean, I get all, I get the motivational stuff. I get what goes on behind the scenes. I mean, I, I, I never played in the major leagues, obviously, but I played ball at a pretty high level. I know what a manager does. I know what a coach does. Off the field, right. I know the I know the teaching aspect of it. If the Mets were in like a playoff series, I would be less confident with Terry Collins because, <laughs> like, then those things, those little weird in-game things, start to matter a lot more. Um, Doesn't he still feel like caretakery though? Like, do you see them? So let's let's say next year is the all-in year, right? Next year, Harvey comes back, and Syndergaard, and Montero, and Wheeler, and G, and Nice, and maybe they can make a deal for an actual hitter, and maybe somebody from their organization moves up, you know, maybe Juan Lagares is an everyday player, maybe uh, a guy like, you know, out of nowhere, like Corey Vaughn or something takes a big step, and you suddenly have another outfielder, um, or they are able to make that trade. Uh, I still haven't given up on Travis Darno. I know lots of people have especially fat people who host midday radio shows. But, um, uh, you know, so next year is the all-in year. Is he still too caretakery, Or do you need, I mean, do you need, like, a younger, more vivacious sort of guy? Um, I think that, I think he's fine. I think, um, I don't think the manager in terms of, like, the little in-game things that Terry Collins maybe isn't so great. I don't think that makes that big of a difference. I think it's good. I think we saw this offseason that, like, free agents are willing to come to the Mets um, and maybe even sometimes want to play for the Mets. Um, I think the manager plays a big part in that. I think I think people actually want to play for Terry Collins, which, which is important. I think, um, you know, somebody like Jerry Manuel, I don't think, like, free agents would want to come play for him. Um, uh so I think that that's important too. I think the the things Terry Collins are are bad at are can be very visible things because a lot of it's like the in game strategy things and weird like taking people out of games and starting weird lineups sometimes and those sorts of things. But I think the things that he's he's good at are are maybe harder to see but but more important. So okay. I would be okay. I, I don't okay. I, like I don't think he's a problem. That's fair. It's probably a situation where there would have to be somebody. I'm assuming. I'm not. I don't mean to. Think, I don't mean to just put words in your mouth. But it's probably something where if there's a manager who is clearly better, became available, and you had a shot at getting him, you'd make that. Would, you would make right. that change. Like it would have to be like Davy Johnson would have to like magically become younger and want to come back and manage the Mets, and then then I would be like that would make sense. Well, right. Davy Johnson teaches a team how to win. Right, I mean, there's a, there's an aspect of that. There's a mentality that a manager can have and or bring to the team, like he did with the Nationals, where he brought an attitude of "we're going to win every night." Brought an attitude. I, right. I don't know. How, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, an attitude. Uh, like Nate Silver's new website had a, a like um, one of their baseball guys had a short little thing about managers, and, and he said he studied. You know, he did some kind of study on, on managers, and he found that, like, out of the hundreds of managers who have managed in baseball in the last, you know, like, 50 years or, or something like that, maybe going back 100 years, it, it's, he 
found that only like seven made a difference in any direction, and like all of them, like actually had like seven managers out of all those, made like a sizable, like a couple wins a season difference, and their team's win one loss record is like exactly who you think it'd be. It's like Bobby Cox and Davy Johnson, La Russa, right? But or... they're like those kind of guys. Um, yeah, but there's, but there's, but that doesn't take into account what you just said. It doesn't take into account what goes on in a locker room. These are 24, 25 personalities that are pains in the ass, that are divas, that are prima donnas, that are good guys, bad guys. I mean, that's what Joe Torre was great at, right? Joe Torre was a not a great in-game manager by any means. He got embarrassed in several playoff series. But Joe Torre was great at managing personalities and huge personalities and great at managing... In, in baseball, where you have so much player movement now and free agency, and, and those right. sorts of things you want to have a manager that the like, players actually want to play for. You don't want someone who's going to drive people away. Um, yeah, like Ozzie Gann, for example. Right. Well, I guess, you know, even some, like Tony LaRusso did that with some guys, but yeah, I don't know. Tony <laughs> well, he, he invented baseball, though, Patrick. Right, he did invent baseball. Cal <laughs> <laughs> and I have uh, our theory that he, Tim McCarver, and Bobby Valentine got together in a cabin in Connecticut, in your neck of the woods, and uh, and invented baseball. A lot of Chardonnay, a lot of Pinot Noir, probably. They, they all met at Bobby Valentine's restaurant. In. <laughs> that's, that's right, <laughs> and just reinvented the game. Okay, I have I have two more. Th- Can you hang out for another couple minutes? Because uh, we, yeah. we yeah. just love talking to you, and I have two more things uh, uh, for you. Uh, one is uh, uh, sort of all-encompassing, and the other one is okay. this Mets team going forward for 2014. I just want to get your take on things you maybe see happening. All right. The, 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 the all-encompassing thing is something we've talked about a ton on the show for four years, and that um, is really – I'm interested to get your take because you are sort of part advanced metrics guy, part seeing-eye guy, which is kind of nice. And I think there was a uh, Sports on Earth article about this recently, too. Maybe maybe you saw it. Um, there is nothing more ruinous to a baseball team, a Major League Baseball team, than a bad bullpen. Then there, there, you, your, your statistical probability of having a winning season with a statistically bad bullpen is like zero. Like it's, it's the worst thing to have. And I, I have been saying for a long time that from a morale and team standpoint, not only a statistical standpoint, but from a morale and team standpoint, a bad bullpen is disastrous. I think, and, that's, I think that's like a scientifically proven fact, that second part, that, that like having a bad bullpen is especially bad for like the team's morale and, and – you know, having a healthy... I think there's like a science thing where you, they went over, they do experiments on, on people, and I think they've even done this with like little capuchin monkeys, that <laughs> like if you if you have something and you take it away from somebody, um, like right. if you give like, a, you know, if you give a monkey like a cookie and then you take it away from it, like that hurts more than the good feelings you have from not having the cookie and then like finding the cookie by surprise later. Like That's it right. hurts more to something you think you have... Um, and like that, that outweighs like the positives of gaining something you didn't think you were gonna have. So then, like in other words, in, in a baseball game, like the good feelings from like winning a game you thought you were gonna lose, those are are outweighed by losing games you think you should win. So like if you blow a one run lead in the ninth, that hurts more. Far worse. 
Yep. That's right. That's worse than than like making a one run comeback the next night. And to go a step further there, I think, and that, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. And right. So if you have a bad bullpen, you're going to blow a lot of games late. You're going to lose a lot of games that you felt like you should have won, and that that starts to get that can. And out. right, and I think it becomes a. Um, I think it it also becomes like a, a sort of anvil in an old cartoon hanging over, or the piano hanging over the team at all times while they're playing. So that even that's if right. Some comeback, the bullpen's going to throw up all over it. Yeah. I mean, this happened two years ago. Was it Cal maybe, or three years ago when they won the seventy-seven games? And uh, so three years ago they were seventy-seven and eighty-five, right? Three years ago. But I think they I think they had like 21 blown saves. Like let alone – forget about leads after the seventh inning. I think they had like 21 blown saves. So even if you win seven of those games, if you win a third of those games, you're 84 and, and you, know, you have a winning season. It's the difference between a winning and losing season. But it got to the point where they would be down five to one, come back – and take a 6-5 lead and know they were going to lose and still know they were going to lose. So it got to a point where you're, why are we even coming back in this game? Like just to literally have the, have the football pulled away from us by Lucy again. Right. And I think that this, this, this team over these three years has really never escaped that. Like it's 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 this it's been this snowball that's been rolling year after year after year with these bad bullpens, and now yeah. you know they get down five to one in a game. I, I mean, I can foresee this this year until maybe those young arms come and help. Like they get down five to one in a the game, they're like, oh, f it. I mean, you used to see them last year just mailing at bats, mailing at bats from like the seventh, eighth, and ninth, like getting down four runs, because yeah. they, they'd be like, bullpen's not going to hold it. So what's the point? The opposite you know? of that. I'm, I'm not saying they're consciously doing that, but it subconsciously sort of creeps in. Right. Well, you, or you, you just if you remember the like the, the nightmare Phillies teams for the you know from the fans' perspective, because like the 2007 and 2008 Phillies, those teams had like bad starting pitching, but a great offense and a great bullpen. So they would have all these comeback wins because the you know the starting pitchers would be not great. The Phillies would be down like in the fifth, sixth innings, and they'd. they'd but they they would keep scoring, and then all of a sudden they would stop the other teams from scoring, and they have all those comeback yep. wins. They were the opposite, really, right? Right. They thought that they could, you know, that they were going to come back and everything, and they did. Um, well, the, and the other, the other, a fun the other thing is that your fans are disheartening for everybody else. The other thing is that with all this this young pitching coming, and and they're really banking their future on this young pitching. They're going to have no choice but to but to load up that bullpen behind them, because you don't want to. I mean, we saw what happened with Harvey last year and all the games that the bullpen blew for him. Now you're going to have Harvey, Syndergaard, Wheeler in the rotation. That's that's three top young pitchers that you have that you're really going to have to back up with a strong bullpen, right? Right. Well, you assume if everything goes right and everything will not go right, but if everything goes right. Next right. year they have to be like in the starting rotation. You figure you will have Harvey, you have Wheeler, you have Syndergaard. They have G, they have Nice, they have Cologne, they have Mejia. 
there's seven guys right there on top of and Montero. Montero, maybe right. Jacob DeGrom. Um, you know, maybe somebody else, some other AAA guy comes right. So there's, like, you know, you're starting to look at six, seven, eight guys who should be in their rotation. So either some guys you trade some of them and get, you know, relievers back, or you have, you just put a couple of them in the bullpen and, and you go, you know. But the Cardinals do that. The Cardinals will have a lot of their young starting pitchers, and they like to do that too. The Mets don't seem to like to break in their young guys in the bullpen, um, but that might just be by necessity. But I think the Cardinals like to take their young guys, their first explosion in the major leagues, and you, you let them pitch out of the bullpen because if you're pitching as a starter and you're doing something weird and wrong, you have to fix it as you're like in the middle of the game. Right. Whereas when you're out of the bullpen, you, can, you go and you pitch one inning, if you do something weird and wrong, you fix it, and then you go pitch another inning the next day. Um, You're also managing so, their innings, too. Right, and so it's a little bit easier to kind of fix problems. You can sort of see everything, and, and you're just doing it one inning at a time. It's easier to, to fix problems and make adjustments than it is where you pitch five or six innings, and then you have to wait four days before you get back out there. That makes it uh, – you, know you know what irks me in that whole thing? Doesn't, right. It, no, no, no. He's absolutely right. I totally agree with all of that. It's it's a it's a it's a goofy thing, where when the card and it's a classic. When the Cardinals do it, it's smart. When the Mets do it, it's not. This right, uh, that, that may that may that may be a jet hang up that I have. But well, I just I just keep. The Cardinals definitely have a plan, whereas like the Mets in 2010 with Henry Mejia, that was exactly. just, that, that wasn't like a that wasn't a plan. That was just like right. a weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, that they, was, we need to save our jobs. Let's just take this kid and put him in the bullpen. <laughs> Good job, everybody. Really top notch. All right, I want to, I wanna, uh, Patrick, I want to talk about 2014 because there are 159 games left. And I want to get your account, I want to get your take on um, how you, you know, foresee certain things going. So we know this is a ridiculously difficult month and they're a terrible team. So. Put those two things together, and uh, they could be, you know, ten, nine, ten games under five hundred by the time they hit May. So I have three. I have. Uh, I think Cal and I pretty much agree on this. We have like three things for you. Uh, the first one is how do you see them doing the bullpen? Uh, you know, when May rolls around. Oh, uh, what will bullpen look like in May? Yeah, I mean, do you, who who do you think is the you know just spitballing? Who do you think is the first guy up? Who do you think um, is going to be gone? Who do you think? Obviously, do you think Barbie Parnell is going to pitch again this year? No, I think he'll, I think I think he'll be up. He said fifty fifty today. I think that was what I read. That he said yeah. it was like a fifty fifty thing whether he'd pitch again this year or or if he had to get Tommy John. So. Um, I, let's let's go into the auspice that he's he's finished for the right, season. He's after the year. I think Valverde would be fine. Valverde's been like a really good pitcher for six years. He had a bad year last year. That's like the guy you figure will be okay. Um, I agree. I agree. I think he'll be completely serviceable. He's fine. Farnsworth is not good. And Farnsworth has never been good. I don't think Farnsworth will be. <laughs> well, the Rays were able to like get him to be good for a year, but the Rays did have everybody. Um, Farnsworth is exactly it, Patrick. It's exactly it. It's, it's a symbol of what is wrong with this team. He is a symbol. Why is he on this they, team? They, they Why? Really like Farnsworth is just like I know so, they cut like, him. Guy out of the bullpen, you know, like they didn't even like they sent him to the Myers, and they were like so obviously didn't care whether or not he went somewhere else that they actually like 
avoided paying him $100,000. And then nobody else like wanted him. him immediately re-signing him because they're just like, we don't really want you that badly and nobody else wants you, so we're not going to pay you that money. You know, <laughs> good luck finding another first, job. And, then he's, and the he's the guy. first guy up. He's the first guy up. Right, he's the first guy up, yeah. Um, because Black Panther strikes right now, which is why I'm in the minor. Um, and, because, and because they don't want to start the clock on those other guys, probably, right? Right, right. This is a win for May, at least, so they, they'll have another year of control. Um, so who comes up? Who do, who do you see? Obviously, I don't think Syndergaard's a pen, uh, a pen guy. Who do you see out of those young arms that's a pen guy? Montero, Montero's ready to be in the major leagues, I think, now. Um, yeah, I think so, too. Manipulating his service. I think Jacob Dukram is ready to be in the majors, too. You do? I think they're just I think they see Dukram as a reliever because out of all these starters they have coming up, he's sort of not maybe as, as high feeling. Okay. And those are the kind of guys, the guys that you sort of figure are okay starters that you figure you put in the bullpen that maybe can throw their fastball a little bit harder now and all of a sudden, you know, they, they have a, like a really good pitch instead of a, a couple of, of okay pitches. Right, they can go full tilt boogie for an inning rather than having to conserve, you know, for five or six or seven. Yeah, I I, I like Degrom. I mean, I like the little that I saw. Um, you, you know, you 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 want to see. I know they're not going to do it. You want to see these guys tomorrow. Like, what? Why do I have to look at you know her men again? Well, well, I think they, I think they think her men will be okay. I think her men will be okay too. Um, oh. I hope so. Uh, I mean, he he does have good stuff. He's got a great chance. All you need is like one good pitch to be a good reliever. And like yep. everybody hated Parnell for like the first two years he was in the bullpen too. Um, yeah, the strike. That's the pitch you need. Right, you need the strike. And it takes a little while. And even I think the the thing about Parnell, like the, the jump Parnell made was he got the knuckle curve, which was, was good. But also he, if you notice like like the past two years, he doesn't have, Parnell never has really bad outings. Like, if he has a bad outing, he'll give up. Like if you know he blows a save, he'll blow one run saves. He doesn't have like nightmare outings where he gives up four runs or three runs. Like I think like the past two years he's had like he's pitched in like a hundred something games, and only ten of them he's given up like more than one run. Right. He doesn't have blow and, up games. Right. Right. Now that, that was the difference between the like what he had to sort of figure out between, like, the first couple of years of his career, last couple of years of his career, he, he was really, he still is really good at that. If he gives up a run, and it's like, it's, he, he, you tell he's annoyed at himself, but he, he gets the next couple guys out. It's not the end of the world when he blows the save. He keeps the game tied. And I think that's the thing that a lot of relievers seem to have trouble with is because, you know, you're pitching for only any time. This is, like, your only chance to do something good, like, you know, today. And once you mess it up, it's really hard to keep it from going really, really bad. And I think that takes a while for the young guys. So Degrom will probably be there. Yeah, totally agree. Cal, you think you think they put Montero there? Yeah, I think they're gonna they're gonna start him out in the bullpen. So you could see a bullpen in May with Degrom and Montero. Hey, uh, I, I'm not opposed. No. Um, who are they replacing? Farnsworth. I think that's, and and uh, I think that's clear. Lannon? They like the lefty. They like to have the second lefty in the bullpen, especially if Rice's arm is going to fall off. Yeah, but Lannon, Lannon, Lannon's not a situational like a lefty. lefty. Yeah, I, think, I think for his career, he's got like this, like left-handers and right-handers hit him the same. Yeah, and he's a, he's a, he should be, a, if he's in that bullpen at all, he should be a long man. Right, he's, I think he is the long man. He's the, um, 
Yeah, no, I, I think I I, think. I, I, I could see Lennon. Uh, Torres or men. Is Familia going to get sent down if he can't learn? I, I would, get, you I, know? I assume Familia isn't going to get sent down because he needs to figure out how to throw strikes consistently as a reliever, which he hasn't been able to do yet. Yeah. I could, I could see them swap out Familia for Black very easily. Uh, well, Black's going to come back up at some point, and I hope he does. I mean, I hope he, he gets he, things he figured out. Black, Black, Montero, and DeGrom will be three guys that, that should be in the next month or so be back. And, right. and you could easily see them for Farnsworth. Um, Lannon and uh, and make, and uh, Familia. Like crap, or gets hurt. Yeah, you know yeah. that happens. Right, right. someone's always going to get hurt. Okay, so how is first base going to go down? What do you What do you foresee this season being? Um, Does Ike Davis finish this year? This year on this team? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. Cal. I wish that they like. I like Duda. I wish that they played Davis. I think Davis has more upside. I think. He, they should just tell Davis it's his job. If you hit, like, if you're hitting two ten in July, we don't care. We're going to keep running you out there, um, even if like he actually is hitting two ten in July. They, they can send him down. That's fine. I strangely agree with you. I, I, but I, I know Cal doesn't. <laughs> but I, well, you don't want to see Duda there either, Cal. No, I don't want to see. I don't want to see either of them. You don't want to see any of them because I'll tell you what. There's, when Josh, when Josh Satin's in the lineup, I'm not exactly all pumped up either. Davis at his best is better than, than Duda. I think they end up with like really similar looking numbers for their careers, but I think that's just like Davis being way worse at times and way better at times, whereas Duda is just sort of consistently okay-ish. Right. And, and Davis, this is not a small thing, but Davis is a better defensive player. Yeah, I think Davis is a better defensive. I think he's a better uh, at, at fielding throws and, and you know, scooping yes. and all that. Yeah. Uh, and he's got more range. The uh, and that's not to say dude is actually serviceable at first base. Believe it or not, he's not yeah, great, he's but he's serviceable. For the outfield, but he's a fine first baseman. Yeah. Well, well, Terry was going to play him in the outfield, Patrick. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I think <laughs> like, like dude was like so relieved to just be like, oh, thank God, I don't have to play in the outfield anymore. And then like two weeks in the spring training, they're like, hey, you know, we're not putting back in the outfield. Cal, what would you do at first? Or what what are they going to do at first base, Cal? What are they going to do? They're going to run Duda out there for the next month or so. They're going to platoon him with Satin against lefties. So they're going to keep the platoon. They're not going to let Duda play every day. No, I don't think they're going to let Duda play against lefties. I don't think so. Because because what, Terry Collins? Yeah. Because heaven, heaven forbid. What do you think, Patrick? You think they'll keep the platoon? Yeah, I think they're going to play Duda and Satin together. Oh, um, unless one of them goes out. Oh, boy. I just... I, but then I don't understand what the point of having like Davis on the roster is. It's so weird. It, 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 this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> this, well, the re- well, the reason is because he's making $3.5 million, so they don't, they don't want to send him down to the minors, and they don't want to just give him away because they're definitely afraid he's going to go hit 30 home runs somewhere else. Yeah, it's really weird. It's like It's like in the NBA... The only other league that ever happened in the NBA where you have like a guy that that like he's just on the roster and travels everywhere but doesn't play because you just you can't get rid of him yet but you want to, right? That the Eddie Curry, well, right? Eddie Curry or like Stephon Marbury. There's so many Knicks players you can think of. Like uh, Stephon <laughs> Marbury at the end. Um, Mike D'Antoni did that with Nate Robinson for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure year did. On the Rockets this year for a while, didn't want to be there and they didn't want him there, but he was still there. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude, the NBA is weird. 
Right, the only thing that happened in basketball, whereas baseball, very few teams are actually just wasting roster spots on guys they don't want to be there anymore. Yeah, but but we are. I uh, look, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sure Jess, uh, Josh Satin's a, a, a nice kid, and uh, you know, I've just he he doesn't belong as he's a 24th, 25th guy. He doesn't belong in a starting platoon. He doesn't. He he does not. You know, he's 29 years old. He's never going to be, you know, anything more than a 4A player. And that's the problem. They have like six 4A players that at that position. And some of them are in AAA or whatever. The guys got like, you know, Zach Lutz and, you know, Satin. And these are all one player. They're all these like 4A guys that are – I actually like Lutz better than Satin. But – um but again, there are all these 4A guys. Josh Satin should not be part of a starting platoon on any team. Sorry. I, just... I think Satin is a, I think Satin is fine. You have to platoon first baseman. Um, but he can't, he can't get 300 at-bats on a team. He can't. He can't. He'll have a lot of power, but he, he, you know, he'll, he doesn't swing at a lot of bad pitches, and they're like that. Ah, just not here. Not here. Enough of that. I've seen enough of that. I just I just want an everyday first baseman for goodness sake. But Quite certain I've teams, earned it. A lot of a lot of like very good teams um will go with platoons at first base. The Oakland A's did it, the Rangers did it for a couple of years until they got fielder. Basically the the Texas Rangers haven't had a real first baseman all the time to be competitive. Right, but who but, but who are they platooning? Um, they were using Mitch Moreland over there, and Mitch Moreland. They had Chris Davis for a while. Yeah, um, I would I would take Mitch Moreland right now over Josh Satin any day of the week, twice on Sunday. I mean, who were they platooning? Is my point. You know, you look at the 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 Red Sox last year. Yeah, they had a platoon. You know, at first base, or whatever. Who were they platooning? You know, I mean, they had Adrian Gonzalez there or whatever, but they would play Mike Napoli at first base. Like these, these well, are different. To, like Napoli and the. Oh, what the hell is his name? He used to Not Gonzalez. Um, uh, no, they, I mean, like, Napoli was a first baseman that he would occasionally play. Um, yeah. Uh, he looks like, like an albino Amish guy, and he was on the Mets. They traded him to J.J. Plus trade, and I can't remember what his name is. In the oh, Mike Carp. Mike Carp. Yeah, Mike Carp. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Carp was the other guy. Yeah. I, 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 look, I, fine. Josh Satin, fine. That's my first base, really. That's my first base platoon. Josh Satin yeah, and Lucas Duda. If you platoon them and they're both, they'll both do like above average hitters and like okay-ish defensively. And that's fine can... if you don't have anybody better. But hmm. the Mets also, like the good, really good teams like the Rangers and the A's have a lot of good players all over the field and the Mets don't necessarily have. Yes. But they have you, can get, they, you can get away with that when you, have, when you have solid players at other positions. Right. I think Wright will be fine. I think Right, I mean, Wright is obviously really, really good, and, and Murphy is like I think it's proved to be actually a pretty good second baseman um, overall. Combining his offense, serviceable. Right, passable defense, and he's like sort of, kind of like quietly added like a stolen base game, um, which is weird. But mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think Murph is I think Murph is fine. I think Granderson's going to do Granderson fine, and I think Chris Young will give them what they're looking for. I think Chris Young will be good you know, uh, defensively and, and hit enough home runs to kind of make up for striking out all the time and, and hitting like 220 or whatever. 
Now, look, this team is going to strike out. I mean, we knew this before they struck out whatever, well, 37 out. times in three games. And you're hoping Lagarde is up for how he's going to hit unless he gets better. And you're hoping Tejada comes back to the way he was in 2011 and 2012. And you're hoping Darno can, can hit like he did in the minors. And then you're hoping the first base platoon will, will work out. And that's, that's See, I think cool. Darno, but I think Darno yeah. and Tejada are two different, entirely different players. Like, I, I, I've, I've never been a fan of Ruben Tejada's to begin with. He has the unfortunate distinction of being the Mets shortstop well, after Jose Reyes, too. Tejada is the shortstop equivalent of, like, the first base platoon solution where, like, it's good enough where you can – he's not going to kill you. It's not, like, a, a thing that you absolutely have to upgrade over. But at some point, you know, something better will come along. Um, but you don't have to yeah. – you don't not an emergency where you have to replace him. Gavin Ticini? Chichini, um, I, how do you say that kid's name? I don't know. I, I think, like, but like, Ruben Hodda kind of guy. He's a tight so, like, If you sign a Jose Reyes caliber player, then you sign Jose Reyes. You don't worry about Ruben Hodda. Yeah. Um, no. no right, or it, if like, Fielder comes along, you don't worry about your weird first base platoon. But, right. But otherwise, <laughs> those guys are weird. <laughs> hey, dude, your, your first base platoon? Weird. Yeah, it is weird. weird. You got weird, wild stuff going on there. Okay, last one. Um, does, last one A and B is uh, so Syndergaard comes up as soon as possible. I mean, as soon as you know we're past the Super Two phase and and you know we can start the clock. And do you think that end of June, I think, or whenever yeah. the Super Two, yeah, whenever the Super Two cutoff, I think it's going to be right. And do you, from what you saw in spring training and what you've seen so far, um, what do you think of Noah? Uh, everyone likes him a lot. Um, but that, I, I mean, you never know what happens when these guys come to the because everyone, when, when Wheeler and Harvey were both in the minors, I, th- I thought Wheeler was going to be, Wheeler's stuff looked better. Wheeler looked like a more polished pitcher. It looked like Matt Harvey was just sort of, I guess apparently Matt Harvey was just bored in the minor leagues or something. Yeah. Well, I think there's a mentality factor that Matt Harvey... Like, who pitches has better that. when they get to the major leagues? You know what I mean? It's, it's like, who has better numbers in the major leagues than they do in the minor leagues? Yeah. yeah. Like, no, yeah, but... he came to the major leagues and he was just fantastic. Yeah. Well, and knowing his personality now, once he's come up, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's a big right, it part. makes sense. And I think you know from all from all reports, Syndergaard has a uh, a real good uh, mentality too, a real bulldog mentality, and he seems to be. Cal's the only one of us I think who's seen him live, right? You saw him last year at the All Star game at, at the, the Futures, Futures game. game. Yeah, and he impressed me. He's he's just a big kid. He's just, <laughs> you know, he's like huge. <laughs> well, you were you were you were quite a bit more uh, effervescent. At that game, when you texted me and said, "If they trade this kid, I quit." Yeah, I think that was the uh, I think that was the text I received from City Field that day. Well, that was an and that was an interesting game because he pitched. He started against Montero, right? And so I got to see both of them, and and Cindergard just kind of like blew me away. Montero was okay; he looked he looked fine, but Cindergard really like struck me as, wow, this, this he's on our team. This is gonna be great. <laughs> And uh, my last one, uh, and then I think Cal has one last one. Um, does Terry Collins make it through this year as the manager? Oh, absolutely, yeah. 
You know, they, they, I forget what – there was an article today that he's the third – he's on the third hottest seat in Major League Baseball. No, that's absurd. That, that's just – if anyone – somebody's writing that, it doesn't like, – Isn't that, it? Clear isn't that, that absurd? Like him. He would have to – if he was going to get fired, he would have to do something illegal and be caught doing something illegal. <laughs> and he would have to be, like, very illegal. <laughs> it would have to be a pants-down situation is what you're saying. Yeah, it would have to be. It would have to be something. It just it would have to be something like very illegal, not like a little bit illegal. It have to like not like he gets the speeding ticket or a DUI or or it has to be like like a very frowned upon thing. Like he bet on baseball. <laughs> yeah, that'd do it. Right, where they couldn't. <laughs> yeah, where they they absolutely could not bring him back for like PR reasons, kind of thing. Yeah. No. All right, my last thing: Are we going to see Matt Harvey this year? No. I think Matt Harvey wants to come back to here. I think the Mets will sure. discourage him from coming back because there's no point, you know, especially if they're out of there's no point in him coming back, like pitching two games in September and possibly rushing back. Just like, you know, take, because then, then he'll have the extra four months to get ready for spring training. Just take the extra four months and, and, and be, you never know, Billy Wagner came back for no reason, well, because they wanted to trade him, but. Right, you know, in like a left arm. So you never know who's gonna who's gonna come back fast. All right, give me give me the reasons, Patrick, that I should calm down. Talk Why me, should... talk me, talk me off, talk me off the Twitter rant ledge that I was on at at uh, four o'clock today. Um, the starting rotation is good. They they have Wheeler, G. Cologne. Nice and Mejia, and then those guys are necessarily like Harvey, the kind of guy where you're, you're positive the streak, like the Woody Chick's going to end because you have Harvey going. Um, but like all four of those guys have like a pretty good shot to be, or any given year could sort of be like your, your number two or your number three guy in your rotation, and they have five of those guys right now. Um, so that's good. The bullpen should get better if only because it can't be worse than it is right now. Like, it's so clearly bad that they have to do something. And either that they, they know they're going to bring, they're just going to suck in April and then they'll bring guys up in May. That's fine. And um, I think this lineup will have good days, especially when, when they get, when they get young, when they have, like, the whole starting lineup, when, when Chris Young comes back and when Murphy's back now. Things will look better. They just got swept in their opening series at home by what may end up being the best team in the National League. So, you know, this might look not so bad in the future. But, like, don't don't jump off the Mets bridge yet. I, I, I think that's all very fair. I think that's all very fair. I, um, I will probably uh, gather myself. We didn't even get to talk about ownership, which is all... This is a whole other conversation. It's just, yeah, everyone knows what that is. So. Yeah, but uh, but it's but it's definitely part of the story. It's definitely part of the frustration that was born out today. Even though it's only three games in, uh, they are part of the story. They are part of the frustration. They are a huge part of this story that uh, we we don't need to get into. They are what they are. Cal and I have differing opinions on how Sandy operates there within. Um, well, no, I mean, we, we, Cal's giving me a quizzical look on the Uvu. 
on our video chat. But uh, no, we do, Cal. You you seem to feel that even if Sandy Alderson had a hundred and fifty million dollar budget, he wouldn't spend it. Yep. He's not the best color man in the game for nothing. It's, it's nice, nice drop in, Monty. Um, but I and I disagree. I think he would spend more money if he had it. Um, but Cal, does that make you feel any better about your 2014 Metropolitans? I'm calmer than I was two hours ago. I feel calmer too. So, so in that sense, Patrick has helped a lot. I feel more rational too. Very good points. I just wish it wasn't so difficult to watch this team play already. Like, I just wish, I mean, we were there on Monday. We watched the game last night. We were texting back and forth. And we were texting back and forth today during today's game. And it feels, it really just feels defeated already. Mm. Oh, that's that's the last thing. That's the last thing. On uh, Wednesday night, Patrick, Yep. and this I can't explain, and Brian, I don't think you can either, right? On Wednesday night, they looked like a team that was 15 to 20 games under 500 playing a game in August on a Tuesday night, on a Wednesday night in 110 degree weather. And I don't know how that's possible for the second game of the season. I really don't. And they just look like a disinterested team. They really did. There's no life. There doesn't seem to be, you know, when Josh Satin comes up, everybody's not sort of pumped up. You know, there's 20,000 people in the building maybe. That's, am I wrong? That's a, I think... This is because they just they strike out so much against the Nationals, especially. I think that's been true for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, right, yeah, and the strikeouts don't, like don't help. They don't help. Oh, it, well, it, it's like, you know, it, it's, I think it ends up seeming worse than it is because, like, a strikeout and a ground out, it's still an out either way, but the strikeouts make it seem like really boring and lifeless because it's just like watching three guys come to the plate and not put the ball in play, and that's the whole inning. Yeah, it just it just seemed very right, Cal. I mean, it just seemed very going through the motions on Wednesday night. Oh yeah, no. Once they gave up the lead last night, it, it just felt like they 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 had no confidence that they could come back. And maybe it was coming off the heels of of the opening game, and it was coming in a game when there was nobody there in the park. It, I don't know. I don't know. It, I, it was a weird feeling for game two. Yeah, it just you just you want to see the uh, the Nats look enthusiastic they they look like they're into it it's obviously easy to do when you're winning but even when they get down a couple of runs they they look like a team that knows they're going to come back and knows they're going to beat you and the Mets just don't have that look and and I know it sounds like an amorphous thing it you know in in this day and age with all the measurables but we've been watching I've been watching baseball a long time <laughs> you know a long time and I've seen teams in recent Mets vintage that had that look, you know, from early in the season, that had that look of a team that was confident that they were going to come back or confident in their abilities or their bullpen or how they were playing or their at-bat that they were going to have. They just don't have those guys. 
I don't know. As Lloyd Dobler once famously said, I can't figure it out all tonight, sir. I'm just going to hang with your daughter. <laughs> Patrick, what are you... Uh, thank you for hanging out so long, buddy. We're going to let you go. Um, but we would love for you to come on in like a couple weeks. Would you do that? Yeah, well, especially if the, uh, the Mets are doing better. So you can we're talking about what a great team Sandy Olsen put together. Very calm Look, nothing would make us happier. Not so bad after all, <laughs> and well, all those I'll, things that, that that everyone will think when when things I'll, finally I'll start around for the Mets. But. I will never say that last part ever. <laughs> um, you think that you think that now, but even like when the Knicks play really well, you know, people start being like, you know, Dolan isn't so bad. Nope. Nope, you know, nope, like spends nope. money and and you know he wants to win and you start finding these like weird good qualities that that like aren't I'll, really I'll there. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why that'll never happen with the Wilpons because I hated them before Madoff. I hated them when they spent money. Okay, I have yep. I, I I have not liked these guys since they have owned the team or they became the sole owners of this team in what what was that Cal? The two thousand two. 2002, they became the sole owners from Doubleday, and I have not liked them this entire time. I don't like the way they run the organization, and I never have. And I think fans of this team are secondary. I think they always will be. I think they take their fan base for granted. I think the thing we talked about at the very top of this, the fact that they badmouth their players on the way out the door, and they always have, is, is distasteful at best. And I've never liked these guys. And they spent money. They spent lots of money. It That's not the problem. You know. And then they became, you know, involved with Bernie Madoff and that entire thing, and were broke and didn't have the team taken away from them because their old boyfriend, you know, Bud Selig. So, their old no. boyfriend? No, their old boy. Oh. <laughs> that one got away from me there. Okay, we're gonna go, Patrick. I have out All music right. though. Hold on, wait. Okay. Yes, send me off. Wow. That's epic. That's pretty hot. Seriously, Patrick, thank you for hanging out with us for so long. Do you have anything to plug? You uh you working no, on anything? I've, no, I have nothing to plug. I have, I have nothing. <laughs> uh, the Great will, American will, Novel? Uh, eventually, maybe, but not, not quite yet. We'll see. Well, we honestly, Patrick, we would love to see you write some more. So, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm still writing. I'm, I'm going go to go to school for it in the fall and, and all that. So, uh, but that's not really a thing I can plug. <laughs> <laughs> Going to school, you know, like come bother me, I guess. While I'm in um, yeah. <laughs> Come out and see me in English class. Right, that uh, kind of thing. <laughs> well, uh, seriously, uh, Brian, I thank you very, very much. And um, serious, really write some more. Your, your writing is really, really good. And it's missed in the uh, right now in the Met universe of bloggers and I'm, writers and stuff. I'm the, sure I'll make like semi have semi mess blogging retirement during the year and and, and all that but yeah cuz your voice is your voice is really missed people are getting way too way too way too full of themselves um <laughs> we will talk to you soon buddy thanks all right thanks for having me Bye. boy he was great
Yeah. You feel better? I feel like this episode became all about me, and I'm sorry for that. No, this entire day was all about you, so... See, now I feel bad. No, no, no I, don't, I don't mean it in a, in a negative way. You just, you had, your, you had your day today. Today was your day to blow up and lose it. So if we can end this day at 11.52, April and... 3rd, if we can end April 3rd with you feeling a little bit better, then we've accomplished something, I think. Do you think Patrick said a number of things there that we have talked about and not necessarily agreed with, but we listened to him. We listened to a different point of view. Did he change your mind on anything? Um, yeah, there were a couple of things that I feel like I'm, I'm more open to now. Like what? I don't remember what they were. I, Chris Young was one of them. Definitely. I, I think I, I'm, I'll give him a chance. That's fine. Uh, I'm not open to Duda. I know he likes Duda, and he likes Tejada. I think I've seen enough out of the two of them to know that I, I don't like them. Um, starting pitching. He kind of reminded me. that yeah. you know, Lost in all of this is that they got three serviceable outings if not spectacular, from their, from their starters in these three games. Three quality starts. And they're good starters. It's a good, it is a good rotation, and, and there are arms coming, and he believes that it's not going to be until May, which is frustrating, but I'm, <sighs> I, I'm okay with that because uh, they're coming, and we're going to see them. So he, he made me feel a little bit better about certain things. I think the, se- I think the season is shot. I really do. I don't think they're going to have a successful season. But, like we always talk about, Steve, we, we're looking for specific things now within the season that we want to see. We want to see Syndergaard come up and see how he pitches. You know, we want to see if Wilmer Flores can develop and maybe crack the, the lineup at some point. We want to see if Juan Lagares is for real. You know, we're not, it's not that we're looking for them to make a playoff run anymore because they can't. They're just not good enough. But there are certain storylines within the season that now we're, we want to see if Travis Darno is for real, you know. And I think that that's kind of it's kind of where the focus for this year has to be if we want to survive it. Yeah, I think it's a it's an unfortunate and necessary moving of the goalposts. And the season needs to. We talked about this with him, and the season needs to shift from expectation of competition to back to downshift into development. Which is ironic because it comes on the heels of Sandy Alderson standing by his 90-win uh, optimism. Right. Because it's not... It's, it's foolish. With the talent that he's putting out there... Yeah, but I don't think... I still don't think he thinks this team is going to win 90 games. No, I don't... I agree. He can't think that. Well, I would hope not. He went to Harvard. <laughs> I don't know if you heard. He's, he's Ivy League educated. He he's way think. too smart to think that. No, no. But I, 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 I agree with you that I don't have a problem with him setting, you know, 
raising the bar within the organization. Like, we have to be better. But that includes him. You know? It includes him. And when he says we have to be better, that means that the players have to be better. And Terry Collins has to manage better. And Sandy Alderson has to be better at getting players. And the training staff has to be better at, at... Helping with injuries, it's, 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 a, it's from, from soup to nuts within the entire organization. No matter what you do in the organization, if you want to be successful, you've got to be better at what you do than you have been for the past five years. Right, exactly. No, that's, that's, and I have no problem with that. I still think he, at some point this month, needs to answer for certain things about this team. And I don't know if it'll come on Francesa or, you know, on with Francesa. Because say one thing for Mike Francesa, he asked some difficult questions. Well, let me um, tell you something. If they, go out, if they go out west and they come back with a 1-8 and eight road trip and they are, you know, 3-19 and 19 or whatever they'll be at that point, he's going to have to talk. Yeah, he's going to have to. And, you know, that's not something he shied away from. 3-12. and 12. Yeah, 3-12. and 12. That's not something he shied away from. But, but, he'll be, think, but there'll, be, there'll be so much pressure on him to say something that he'll yeah. have to. But I even think it's less about talking, and it's more about you, you know, it's like Carlo. I mean, you've got to answer for Sonny right. at some it's, point. It's acknowledging it. Yeah, that you, you have to tell us what the rationale between, it was in having Duda Davison sat in that first base. Or going into the season with a shortstop you don't like. Or going into the season with Kyle Farnsworth in your bullpen, you know, calling Kyle Farnsworth up when Parnell goes down. You know, these, these things he has to answer for. Right. And not getting a grant ball for, not getting a, you know, not getting a, any relievers other than Jose Valverde, not overpaying for Latroy Hawkins, who was good for you. Um, maybe he can't because maybe his hands are tied financially and he can't. See, but you don't believe that. I, I don't. I mean, I, I, do to a, I do to an extent. I, I believe that... I believe he doesn't have the money to sign Stephen Drew right now. You really do? Yeah, even if he wanted to. I don't think he has the money to sign him. I agree with you, but I'm surprised. You didn't, I didn't no. think you felt that way. No, I, I, because it's going because, to... Because I also believe Stephen Drew doesn't really want to play here. And you would have to overpay to get him. Right. And what it would take to get him, I don't think the Wilpons would sign off on that. I really don't. You, you might be right. But I also believe that Alderson doesn't want him. So. You, might, you might totally be right. I, I feel that way too, but I, I didn't think you did. I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. Yeah, we got 90 seconds left in the live show and we should wrap up. But um, anything on the paternity nonsense? Do you want to say anything about it? Turn apocalypse, right? Baby gate, which is way too easy. No, I don't want to say anything about it. Yeah, good. Me neither. Yeah, it's it's dumb. It really is. It's so contrived. It's not even funny. It really is. Good. I, I'm glad. I uh, I I think it's uh, yeah. That's uh, enough said. So we have to shift the expectation. Well, yeah, that's what it appears to be. The expectation is now development. Back to development. I tell you what, it's not going to be easy for me to do right away. That's why I took this year this so hard. 
because I waited three years. I thought this was the year I didn't have to do it. And right. This was competitive year, and then not so much. Like I said, I held up my end of the bargain. I felt like they did. Yeah. All right, Cal, final unload. Well, congratulations, Daniel Murphy. That's all I got. Time is so much shorter than... So that's your take on Patern Apocalypse. Patern Apocalypse 2, because Patern Apocalypse 1 was the Joe Paterno situation. No. <laughs> so this is just, this is like Sharknado 2, which incidentally filmed at City Field. Great. Sharknado 2. Uh, can't wait for the only the Mets jokes about that one. Oh, they've all, we've already seen them. Great. And my final unload is... I'm sorry. I'm sorry I had to do that today. I, uh... I didn't black out. I knew what I was doing. But I'm not sorry. And I will only be going to City Field one more time this year. Unless, of course, somebody gets me free tickets. Okay, <laughs> we'll, uh... We'll see you guys next week for another Ready to Unload. I'm sure we'll talk baseball, we'll talk football, we'll talk whatever you want to talk about. Thanks to Patrick Flood. Huge thanks to Patrick Flood for joining us uh, and spending so much time with us. For Brian Calvi and the Bishop Big Donuts, PJ Cachopo, I'm Steve Sampietro. We will see you next week. Please go to rtusports.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Bye. Bye, Cal. Bye, Steve. Big Donuts.